0: We are going through the doctrine of God in our uh, Bible study and so we're coming tonight to the decree of God and we'll look at this tonight, God willing, and then part two, uh, God willing, uh, next week. But if you can turn with me in God's word to Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter one, we'll read verse one down to verse twelve, familiar portion of scripture and we pray God will give us help tonight. Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ In one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word and a wonderful portion of scripture that is, and we pray that God will even bless the reading of that word. The opening verses of Ephesians chapter 1, as we've noted there, lists the spiritual blessings that God has given his redeemed people in and through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. These spiritual blessings have been purchased by Christ's blood for the eternal inheritance of the people of God. These blessings we will look forward to for a future day in heaven, but also we rejoice in them while we live upon earth. Verse 11 states, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. And therefore, above all, the Lord Jesus Christ Christ himself is the believer's inheritance by his life, his death, his resurrection. We enjoy all these spiritual blessings because of him, by him and through him. We have been made the recipients of sovereign grace. All the favor and blessings of the gospel have come by the power of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore as the people of God, We are instructed and exhorted in Scripture to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to have that closer walk with God, to get stuck into the Bible, to dwell in the Word and have the Word of God dwell in us in order to learn what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and to grasp it in a sense to rejoice in it and to live it out for the glory of God. And therefore, verse 11, we have this phrase, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, in whom, that is, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The phrase being can also mean having being. So we could read it that way having been predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And in this verse 11, there are wonderful phrases there that we could feast on for a long time. But let me just quickly summarize it. The word predestinated simply means to determine beforehand. Now we will expand on this a bit later, but just for now, it means to uh, deter- to determine beforehand. The phrase purpose refers to that which is accomplished or that which is set forth. And so God has authorized, purposed or accomplished the salvation of his people in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. The word counsel means advice. It's from the verb to consult Or to take counsel. And then we have the phrase, his own will. And that signifies the free choice of God to do these things for sinners whom he has covenanted, chosen to save in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we put all these phrases and their meanings together, we discover that the divine counsel in few is the result of the eternal Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, that extends right on to verses uh, 14, from verse 1 to 14. The Father has authorized our redemption. The Son accomplished our redemption. And the Spirit of God has applied that redemption to our very hearts. And so it causes us to rejoice in the gospel. And therefore, All the plan of redemption, the authorization of redemption has been foreordained by God. And we learn that there in this passage. All these details, they add up to one clear presentation that is before us. When we think about the purpose of God, the predestination of God, and many more terms that we could use. It all signifies what is termed as God's decree or the divine decree, or the eternal decree of God. And so those are three statements. The uh, God's decree, the divine decree, or the eternal decree of God all signifies that which God has foreordained, what he has predestinated, what he has purposed, what he has counseled to do. And it's wonderful as we seek to meditate upon this. Now, let me say, as we bring in all the other studies that we have thought about when we looked at the incomprehensibility of God and the nobility of God, let me encourage you by saying this, that when it comes to God's eternal decree, his eternal decree is founded in his infinite uh, mind and therefore his decree is eternal, infinite, and unchanging. And we will never be able to perfectly grasp everything there is to know about God's purposes, his plans, how he works, why he works, and when he works. There's certain things, as we learn the secret things, they belong to the Lord. And so uh, that is what is termed as the incomprehensibility of God. There's just things we will never perfectly grasp about God and how he works, why he does things. Uh, we've looked at this before and we'll look at it a bit today and mostly next week. The very fact we are saved by his grace. Uh, it's amazing to think about that, fallen sinners. And yet he chose me, chose you. Before the foundation of the world. When we deserved wrath and ruin. and So we will never fully grasp this. But what we have in scripture. Is what God has revealed of himself. And therefore we can't go on the boundaries of scripture. What we know about God. Is what God has revealed of himself. And what we learn is this. What God wants you to know. Is he worketh all things After the counsel of his own will. And so when you're in a situation, whatever that may be, a trial, a trouble, a hard situation, you feel, as the psalmist said, it's a day of trouble. Your back is against the wall and you don't know why God is working this way or what God is doing, his whole purpose. This is where then you begin to bring all the lessons to the plate, if you want, and say, Well, one thing I do know he has told me this. He worketh all things, that's even in my life, after the counsel of his own will. And therefore, while I cannot trace God at this time, I can always trust God because he knows best and he will never let me down. So we come to God's eternal decree, what he has purposed, what he has counseled to do, what he is working by his own pleasure. So what is a decree? What does the word or phrase a decree mean? A decree simply is a decision that is made law. Therefore, it is binding and it is unchanging. For instance, Ezra chapter 5 verse 13. In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus made a decree to build the house of God. So something was made law, it's established, it's binding, it must be done, upheld. Again, in the New Testament, and there's many more phrases we could go through, I'm delimiting it to this too. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And We'll come back to this when we think about the providence of God how God ordered all events surrounding the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so those are men's decrees. But we are thinking tonight of the highest decree, the eternal decree, God's decree, which is unchanging. All men's decrees, their laws, their decisions, their counsels, are included in God's eternal decree. God's eternal decree is his counsel, his wills, his plans, and his purposes. Now, I'll give you the notes. I have a lot more to say there when it comes to the different words used, but you can look at that yourself. But having already considered Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, and going through some definitions, let me give you now uh, some thoughts regarding from the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, the shorter and the larger Catechism. And let me say, We have noted that throughout this series already. We have used these. They do not substitute or replace scripture, but they are definitions and statements, question and answer form that is found or based upon scripture. So for instance, the Westminster Confession of Faith chapter three on God's eternal decree says this God from all eternity Did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby, neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather Established Again, we'll go through this in a bit more detail. The Shorter Catechism, question 7, which we were doing with our young people last Saturday. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose. According to the counsel of his own will, whereby for his own glory, he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Then question 8. How doth God execute his decrees? The answer is God executeth his decrees in the works of creation and providence. Now the Catechism speaks of God's eternal decree and therefore God has decreed all things in space and in time but it's all under one everlasting decree. We have noted in this series God is self-existent independent, the fountain of all life, eternal, immutable, all-wise, the sovereign creator and ruler of this entire universe. And therefore, he has ordained, decreed whatsoever comes to pass. The truth of God's decree, it is stated in Scripture. And through it we learn, or we grasp to a certain extent by our limited mind, God's ways and God's work. So tonight the first point is this. The establishment of God's decree. We'll look at more thoughts next week. But the establishment of God's decree. Notice the source of God's decree. God's decree is God's decree. God's decree has its source, its origins, its establishment in God himself. Everything that God has decreed comes into existence. It comes to pass because it is his decree. God's decree rests, depends upon his own good pleasure. There are no people, events that shape God's plans. There are no pre-existing circumstances that cause him to act. There is nothing before God. He is The creator and he does all for his purpose and his own sovereign pleasure. God's decree comes to pass not because God knows what will come to pass or take place, but because he has decreed what comes to pass. And therefore, whatever takes place is according to his divine decree. And that's encouraging because in your life, nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by luck. Your life, my life, is all under God's eternal decree, The purposes and the plans that he has in our life. He's always working in your life according to his eternal purpose, his plan, his counsel for your life. And therefore, that's why the psalmist could say, as for God, his way is perfect. We could even say, As for God, his pleasure is perfect. As for God, his counsel is perfect. Because all that God does is perfect in your life. The good times and the bad times. And I want you to grasp this. Because we all go through hard times. But we must come back to God's eternal decree and learn that he's working out his own purpose. His own law. What he's established, his own counsel in my life and so God is never uncertain about his plans and purposes everything he every detail within his decree is certain and fixed from eternity God's plan is unchanging with reference to his creatures again we've read tonight haven't we in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 when it comes to redemption that we are chosen in Christ, before the foundation of the world, and that's amazing. Now we'll focus more about that uh, next week. But that is amazing. From all eternity, He set His love upon me before I set my lo- before I knew Him. He knew me, and therefore, while the world was decreed from all eternity. It did not exist from all eternity. Yet in God's mind, what he had decreed was as if it already existed. Let me explain it this way. You think of Revelation 13 verse 8. Christ is known uh, or stated as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And yet though the world was not created, and Christ at that time had not physically died in time, yet in eternity, in the mind of God, in eternity past. It was as if the event of Christ had already taken place. And that's astonishing. Before the creation of this world, God created the heaven and the earth. Yet before all that, Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation Of the world. In the mind of God, Christ had already died, yet Christ had not died yet physically. He had not been born. But in the mind of God, redemption was already planned. And therefore, Calvary and Christ going to the cross was not plan B, was not a mistake, was not something had gone wrong. But from all eternity, it was in the mind of God. Again, the same thought in John 17. The Lord Jesus Christ, in his high priestly prayer, he's praying concerning God's eternal decree in redemption, praying over sinners whom God has covenanted to him. Because remember, Christ came to save his people. He came to save those whom the Father had given him. And therefore, he prays on the basis of his own redemptive work. And what does he say in John 17, verse 4? Remember, Christ is going to the cross. He's not yet on the cross. But what does he pray? I have glorified thee on earth. Notice, I have finished the work which thou givest me to do. And that is the word I have finished. I have perfected. I have accomplished the work which thou givest me to do. That work that I came from heaven to earth to do. The will of him that sent me. I came to die for a people. And yet Christ is praying, I have finished the work. And yet he hasn't died yet. Yet he hasn't gone to the cross at that time. How can that be? Because he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In the mind of God, it's as if Christ's death has already taken place. He has already finished the work that he was sent to do. And so in the mind of God, the work of Christ has already been completed. And always remember that. The very fact that you're saved, and I've always said this to people, you are not an add-on. Want you to grasp that, believer? You are not an add-on. You've been chosen before the foundation of the world. It's not that there's a group here chosen, and then you're just actually. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll take one more. That's not the key. You're not an add-on. You were always in the mind of God. You were always on the mind of Christ, and even before He here before He actually died on the cross, He's praying, "I've finished the work. I've accomplished redemption." For sinners I came to save. Now that blows our mind. But that's what it is. Again you think as well about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you. Has the Lord Jesus Christ come back yet in his second coming? No he has not. Yet we read this here in Psalm chapter 2 verse 6. The Lord speaking about the second coming of his son. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Sion. Notice, yet have I said. And so here in the mind of God, Christ has already come back. Uh, he already has in his mind the second coming, the victory, uh, and the defeat of Satan and his people with him. And yet we here on earth are still waiting for this to take place. We're still waiting for the Lord to return. We're still waiting for that day when we will be forever with him. We're waiting for the coming of the Lord. But yet in the mind of God, it's already taken place. In the mind of God, it's established. So these are wonderful things from the foundation. This is all part of God's decree because God has decreed it. It will take place. God decreed his son would come into this world and die. He's decreed his son will return and it will take place. And these are wonderful thoughts concerning uh, The um, the sovereignty of uh, God, or the source of God's eternal decree. Notice the singularity of God's decree. While I said we spoke about the decrees of God, the purposes of God, yet God's decree is one eternal decree. God has one purpose, and it is in in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so we may obviously speak ourselves of the purposes of God and the plans of God. Yet in all uh, correctness, if you want, it is one plan, God's eternal plan of redemption in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God does in Christ is for his own glory. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. And there you have already what we spoke about a few weeks ago when we talked about the incomparability of God. There's none to be compared like unto him. Well, there it's again, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. There is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. There's God's eternal decree. My counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. The psalmist said, our God is in the heavens and he has done whatsoever he pleaseth. Notice the sovereignty of God's decree. The sovereignty of God's decree determines all that comes to pass. Nothing takes place outside God's decree. No event can occur without his permission. Otherwise, he would not be God and he would not be in control. And therefore, his decree is eternal, infinite, and unchanging. Acts 15 verse, 8, Acts 15, verse 18. Known unto God are all his works, from the beginning of the world. There you go. There's God's eternal decree. No on unto God. That's unto him alone. Are all his works from the beginning. And so God knows the end from the beginning. And that goes back. See how this all builds like a wee step. We've gone up, st- uh, up a pair of ladders. We're building one. Going one step after the other. We learned last week, didn't we? About the eternality of God. Our God is eternal. And here we have it again from the beginning of the world. So God's eternal plan, all that he has purposed to do before the foundation of the world comes to pass because he has decreed it. Again, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born A time to die. A time to plant. A time to pluck up that which is planted. And you read on down the chapter. And so just as God knew and decreed the day of your birth, so he knows and has decreed the day of your death. God's eternal decree determines the start and end of everything. God's decree encompasses even the voluntary Actions of men as free agents. Man is a free agent in the sense that he thinks, he desires, he chooses, he acts according. And while man is a fallen creature and will always choose his sin, yet all man's uh, counsels, they're all included within the purposes of God. Those who rule in government. They are ordained of God. Again, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. There is no power but of God. The powers that belonged are ordained of God. Psalm 75 verse 7, he putteth down one and setteth up another. Daniel 2 21, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. And so the sovereignty of God's decree declares that man's sinful actions are under his divine control. Now as we learn from the catechism and from scripture, God is holy. God is light and in him is no darkness. And so God is not the author of sin, nor does he tempt any man to sin. However, God does permit or allow the sinful actions of men and women to take place. But he always overrules according to his own plans and purposes. And that is where it goes beyond our limited understanding. God's decree includes the good acts and uh, the good acts or works of men as Ephesians 2 verse 10 states, but also the wicked actions of men as Proverbs 16 verse 4 states, the Lord hath made all things for himself, even the wicked for the day of evil. We see the evil intentions of men under the control of God. Notice this is seen in the birth of Christ or really the life of Christ. Again, Matthew chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. Herod, he has this evil plan to destroy Christ. And you read the passage there at all that took place. And yet that whole event, was under the sovereign control of God. Again, referring to Christ's death. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And so those who took Christ and crucified him, yet it was all under up the plan of God. It was according to the plan of God. God permitted it all. He had decreed it all. And these are things, like I said, it just, it blows our mind. And we'll go into a bit more detail on it next week. But I'm just establishing the fact tonight that God has his own, has the, his, the eternal decree of God. And what God does in that decree is according to his own Purpose And he works on his, and we would term it, his own schedule for his own glory, for his own honor, and his own praise. And as I said, things may seem to be out of control, but we always must have our mind focused upon God's decree. What he has purposed, and he works all things to his own glory. You go back again to the cross. Those who took Christ Uh, mocked him and sentenced him and crucified him, wicked hands. What was the purpose of it all? It was for Christ to go to the cross, to die the just for the unjust. And the Lord said himself, it was necessary, it was needful that the Son of Man must suffer these things in order to enter into glory. And so Christ had to suffer on the cross in order to save your soul. And finally, Genesis chapter 15. This is what we're thinking, aren't we, in the life of Joseph on Sunday afternoons. The jealousy, the hatred of Joseph's brothers towards him. And we've traced the life of Joseph, have not we, for the last number of months. And we've seen all the things that happened to Joseph. Yet every single thing was under the control of God according to his will according to his decree all according to his own purpose God was working out his own plan of redemption now to us looking at the life of Joseph and if you were to put yourself in Joseph's shoes being betrayed, forsaken, uh, being falsely accused all these things you would think this is unfair woe is on to me and a lot more but what did Joseph say when he met his brethren in Genesis 50, verse 20? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, or wicked against me, and God permitted that. But God meant it on to good, to bring it to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. God had a purpose in it all. Because he work, he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. And we've seen that, haven't we, in the life of Joseph. It was to save the nation because through that nation was the tribe of Judah. And through that tribe was the tribe that Christ came through. And so we can look back now and we can see the plan of God and see he was working out his own eternal Purpose. So, tonight we've looked at God's eternal decree, the establishment of God's decree. God does what he does. God works the way he works, when he works, how he works, who he works through, according to his own pleasure and his own purpose. But his purpose always centers upon redemption through Christ for his glory and for the saving of his own people. And so may the Lord write his word upon our heart for his name's sake.